0: Jewish Audio on Kaban.org Rambam, Mishneh, Torah, Hilchais, the laws, Bias, or Biat, Hamigdash, of the Kohen, as well as the Kohen Godel, the priest and the high priest. What laws govern their coming in and leaving the Holy Temple? When may they come? When may they go? What are the prohibitions involved? And so on. Perek Sheni, Chapter Two, Aleph Halacha One. Ein Kohen Gadol Nichnas LeKedusha beginning with the Kohen Gadol, the High Priest, we know the High Priest is the only one licensed to enter into the Holy of Holies, and even then, he's not permitted to enter into the Holy of Holies. Ella MiYeh Makipurim. Only on Yom Kippur, but from Yom Kippur to Yom Kippur, he may not enter into the holy of holies, not even on Cinco de Mayo. The Koin Hedit, that's a high priest. What about a regular ordinary Kohen? When may he enter his zone? What's his zone? The Hamigdash, the whole holy temple, courtyard area, the temple area Nichnas Lakodesh, he can even enter the holy. The base Hamigdash proper, Voda or, or, or the altar area, for service, bechol yom, on a daily basis, if he wishes to and if he works it out. We learned earlier that the kohanim were divided into 24 divisions. But here we're speaking hypothetically, theoretically, a kohan, if he has something to do, can enter into the base Hamigdash daily. What would be the services permitted to a regular Kohen in the Besam English itself? Because most of the services of the altar took place in the courtyard. So he says here, for example, to offer incense. The high priest, the Kohen Godel, has to supervise the incense. But a regular Kohen may offer incense. Theoretically, the same Kohen may do it every day. Kindle the menorah, again, under the supervision of the Kohen Godel, but a regular... Kohen can also kindle the menorah, or just to walk in and bow, that's also something that is permissible for a regular Kohen to do if he wishes, and all the other technicalities are out of the way, he can do it even daily. Beis vi his haru kol, vi huzharu kol all the Kohenim or forewarned, Shalayukonsul the Kadesh, that they may not enter into the holy area, which is the Hamikdash itself. A Kadesh or to the Holy of Holies. Shalay Not during the time of service. They can't just leisurely walk around the Hamikdash, Leisurely walk around the holy of holies, even the Kohen Godl. They can only be there when they have to be there. This is actually a verse. It says, In the very beginning of the Yom Kippur service, it says that Aaron and the Kohanim shall not come into the holy anytime they want to. This verse refers to Kodesh HaKadoshim, the holy of holies, in the inner area, which is past the veil this includes the whole base HaMikdash a Kohen may only be in the Beis HaMikdash when he has business to take care of TCB taking care of business Gimel if any Kohen regular, ordinary or high enters into the Holy of Holies all year round not on Yom Kippur This law would apply to an ordinary Kohen or a high priest, a Kohen Godel, or a high priest, who may enter into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. Who wandered into the Holy of Holies. Not during the prescribed time of service, as we will soon say. How many times on Yom Kippur does the high priest enter the Holy of Holies? Four. What if he goes five? What if he says, "Let me go for 11 Chayav misa Shamayim is culpable for heavenly death penalty. Shenamar, <laughs> as the verse says, "Velo yomos he shall not die." How many times is it prescribed for the high priest to enter into the holy of holies on Yom Kippur? Arba four. Says the Rambam. This is not the place where we're going to describe the service of the Kohen Godel on Yom Kippur. That will come. But here we're just mentioning in passing about when not to enter into the Holy of Holies. So the answer is, any time, over four times on Yom Kippur. And therefore, if he went in a fifth time, he's culpable for heavenly death penalty, just like any other Kohen. Just because it's Yom Kippur, and just because he has license to enter, it only pertains to those four prescribed times. Dalid v'anich What about a regular Kohen, a regular person who enters into the holy, which is the Beis Hamigdosh area, not the holy of holies. Chutz l'Kedosh In the regular Beis Hamigdosh area, not the holy of holies. However, he's there without purpose. Shalei Beda is not there to do any service. Shalei L'Ishtachvis is not there to bow, which was another form of service. We learned earlier that the Kohen could come in and bow. Or prostrate himself, actually. And if he's there for neither of those reasons, bain hedget whether he's an ordinary Kohen, Bain Gogalor is a high priest, Loke, he's liable under certain circumstances actually to receive lashes. Venachai of Misa, however, there's no death penalty. Shanamar, as it says, El Pne Hakapedus to the face of the curtain. Vilayomisa should not die, which refers to the Holy of Holies. Al Kedish Akadoshim Misa, only a violation of the space of the Holy of Holies could result in death penalty. shar Habayas, but a violation of the sanctity of the rest of the holy temple. Belav is only the violation of a negative commandment. What is the regular prescribed punishment of a violation of a negative commandment if there are witnesses who warned and saw? Ve'lekeh, there is lashes. Ches. So now we're talking about a Kohen who is heavily involved in his service in the Besamigdash. And then he wants to see what the baseball scores are. He doesn't have reception in the base Migdash. He walks out. Walks out for a cigarette. He goes to the Starbucks near the base of, Actually, it was coffee bean near the base amigdash. If a Cohen decides to leave the base bilvad in the middle of service, this is the problem. Chayav Misi could be culpable for death. Here you are serving and doing something in the base Migdash, All of a sudden, you're walking out. That applies to Ben Kayen Goga, whether he's a high priest in the middle of his service, Ben Kayen Hejit, or an ordinary Kohen in the middle of his service. Shanem, as it says, even for urgent matters, even when a death occurs in the family, the Kohen should not run out of the base of Migdush. Certainly not for coffee. Tea, maybe, but not coffee. As the verse says, From the gateway of the tent of meeting, they shall not depart, lest you will die, lest they will die. Claimer, this means. Let them not forsake their service. They're in the middle of service. They should not run out in a state of confusion. In a state of urgency. Because of something that occurred. I believe he's talking about death like... This is a take of Aaron, who heard that his sons died, and he was told not to go out. V'chein, Zesh, and and God will similarly speaking, the law pertaining to a high priest, which tells us, quote, say he shall not leave the Beis This doesn't mean that a high priest could never leave the Beis ha It also doesn't mean that a regular priest can never leave the base ha It means... While they're working, in the middle of service. It's only when they're engaged in an official service. The prohibition here, the transgression is, don't leave your service and run out. But it, if he's not particularly occupied in service right now, why should he not go out? It's not a prison. That's the Rambam's view of this halacha. A lot of commentary and a lot of other views. in that case, Why was this admonition of not going out of the Holy Temple, given with regard to the high priest? had to tell you because, here's the scenario, an ordinary Kohen was in the Holy Temple serving the at a close Relative of his passed away. One of the relatives from whom for whom he has to mourn, and these are the seven relatives described in the Torah. A regular Kohen, may not leave the Beis Amigdash because there was a death in the family. But despite the fact that he doesn't leave, but he also doesn't serve. So he stays in the Besamigdash, but does not serve. Why? And here is a term that the Rambam once again introduces. We learned it earlier. Mipnei Shehu Onain. Because he is in a state of bereavement. What is the definition of bereavement? Literal definition of bereavement is the day of passing of a close relative. The same day. That's called aninus. Where the person is bereft. And biblically, by Torah law, that is the state of mourning. One day. Rabbinic law added the Shiva. Vimavad, but if he served? And he's a biblical bereaved person. A biblical mourner. By working on that first day, he has profaned everything he did. Bein bekar ben whether he did an individual's offering, bein bekar or he did a communal offering, whatever it is, no good. Why a kohen may not serve in that state of bereavement? What's bereavement? First day. Avol, however, there's a difference between a kohen an ordinary kohen, and a kohen godal, and a high priest. Avel kohen but a high priest, even on that first day, Oved, he serves kishuen, and even in a state of bereavement. Where do we learn that from? From the story of Aaron and his sons passing, Nodav and Avihu, the whole debate between Moshe and Aaron, whether he should have served or he shouldn't have served. Shenemar, as it says,, the high priest shall not leave the base Amiggdassh, Ve a not profane claimer. Yeshev he shall continue to dwell in the base Amiggdassh, the Bo and do the service in which he is engaged. Theam is he is not profaned. Who's that? The Kohen god of the high priest. How do we know that the regular Kohen, the ordinary Kohen, who serves in a state of bereavement, everything he does becomes unfit? We know it from a logical conclusion. A blemished Kohen. A Kohen who is blemished may not serve, but he may eat. He may eat of the holy foods if a blemished coin served he profanes if a coin with a blemish serves and acts as a coin, he has profaned everything he did everything he did is messed up why? because a coin with a blemish may not serve in that case we have a logical conclusion that someone who is in a state of bereavement may not even partake In the holy, and this is a very famous rule stated again and again in the laws of the second tithe, where it says, The Jew has to make a declaration. The farmer comes to the base of Migdash, and he has to declare that he did everything right, he followed the rules. One of the declarations he makes is, I did not eat of this food when I was in a state of bereavement. Because when a person is in a state of bereavement and they eat holy food, the two don't go together. So that's a biblical admonition teaching us that people who are in a state of bereavement may not eat of holy food. Din shiachal. certainly, that which he does in a state of bereavement becomes profane. That's a regular Kohen. Ches eight viapal pishu Even though, as we said earlier, the high priest... May continue to serve even when he's in a state of bereavement. Again, that's what we learn in the whole debate between Moshe and Aaron. When Nodov and Avihu died, that Moshe demanded of him that he continue to serve, but he says, But I can't eat. He may not eat of the holy food, which is why Aaron said, God would not be pleased if I ate of the sin offering of Khalti Chatos, had I eaten the sin offering? Hayom, today. What's today? On the day of bereavement. This was Rosh Chodesh. Nisan. Hayita be'ene Hashem. Would this be pleasing in the eyes of God? So therefore, from here we learn serve. Yes. Eat. No. For the high priest, for the Kohen Godl. The and so also So the Kohen Godl could say, listen, I'm not allowed to eat. By day, the first day of the bereavement. But once nightfall comes, the day is over. So let me divvy up, let me take a portion of the holy foods so I have dinner tonight. He may not even be part of the division of the sacrificial foods to have food in the evening. And what if a person in a state of bereavement, first day of morning, Sha'abar, who did serve? Ainaleika does not receive lashes. It's something you shouldn't do, but there's no lashes attached. liga and furthermore, he may touch holy food. Touching is not a problem. It's not like he's in a state of impurity, where if he touches holy food, he makes the food impure. Afa even though he didn't immerse in the mikvah. because the designation of don't get involved with holy food was only made by our sages regarding the eating during the time of the bereavement. But not touching. It remains pure. As we will explain in the laws of purity and impurity, that the own and the bereaved person is not really impure. And therefore, the touching of the holy foods is not a problem. Now we want a definition. What is the meaning of an onan? And let me tell you in today's world what the definition is. The definition in today's world is when somebody has a close relative. When we talk about close relatives, by the way, we talk about a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a son, God forbid, a daughter, that's six, And a spouse. Those are the seven close relatives. Father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse. The first day of passing, that person is in a state of bereavement. And if truth be told, those who lost very close relatives know that that first day you don't know if you're coming or going. You have no idea what's going on. So that's a state of bereavement. Following that, especially after burial, that's when the shiva begins. And that's the seven days following the burial, or in some cases following the passing. And that is a rabbinic period. Then there is the shloshim, the 30-day period, the 11-month period, the 12-month period. Back to the text here, nine, what is the definition of oh, nine somebody who lost someone, a close relative, one of the close relatives enumerated just now, by Torah law, this only applies to the day of death. So if a person passed away on Tuesday, Tuesday is his day of bereavement. That's called a biblical... A Torah law Now what about Tuesday night? <coughs> Is that still considered the period of bereavement? Person lost his close relative on Tuesday. What about Tuesday night? Rabbinically, it carries into the night. Biblically, no. Biblically, it's only the day. Sometimes it happens that several days pass before burial. What is the close relative during those days where his relative has not yet been interred? Is that considered a state of bereavement? So he says, all the days that are following the day of passing. For example, in my scenario, I said the person passed away on Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Even before the burial took place, hu'ain and the state of bereavement continues, but only and rabbinically. The biblical bereavement is only Tuesday. makfura, the same thing applies. The actual day of burial... is also a day of bereavement rabbinically, because biblically it's only the day of passing. Even though the day of burial is a pretty serious day. The the day, day of burial does not take the night following it with it. The fico, therefore, somebody lost somebody close to him. And he buried him a few days later. In the case of a Kohen, the entire day of burial, the person passed away Tuesday, the burial was Wednesday. In this Kohen's case, all of Wednesday in Makriv, he may not offer sacrifices. He may not eat holy foods. Why? We just said biblically, the bereavement is only the first day, Tuesday. By rabbinic law. Rabbinic law carries it over to the day of Burial. The table, and then he immerses in a mikvah. The echalah and once evening comes, he may resume eating of holy foods. Now, there's an interesting law, and I will share the law because it's, it's important that people know it. There's something called shmuah krovah and shmuah Rachoka. Shmuah krovah means if a close relative was told. That his close relative passed away. If it's within 30 days of the passing, this is called shmoa Krova, a close time-wise, in timeline, a close piece of news. What does he need to do? He needs to do the same thing everybody else needs to do. He needs to sit shiva. He needs to observe mourning. Why? Because it's within the 30-day period. But if it's a Shmua what if it's a distant piece of news? What is the meaning of distant? 30 days plus, more than 30 days, which is why very often when you have, for example, a, an elderly person or an unwell person who loses a sister, a brother, uh, what have you, you try and keep the news from them until after 30 days so that it falls into this category of Shemot or What's the application of Shmur Achoka? They have to sit Shiva a very short time. Just a symbolic Shiva. An hour or a few hours or what have you. A day, whatever it is. So therefore the Rambam says, V'yom Shmur Krova, the day when somebody hears of a passing within 30 days, that's called a Shmur Krova, a close piece of news. Likud Atzamas, or if bones of a deceased relative are gathered together and brought to burial for whatever reason. The bones are being gathered together now and are moved. That day has a state of rabbinic bereavement, like the day of burial, rabbinic bereavement. And like the day of burial, it does not include the night following. So in the case I just explained where the Kohanes Close relative passes away on Tuesday, buried on Wednesday. Wednesday is that day of rabbinic bereavement, but does not carry over to Wednesday night. Even rabbinically. Fiko, therefore, de Kohen would immerse, and he would eat holy foods Wednesday evening. Aval, however, the day of death. In in this scenario, Tuesday, just as it's forbidden to eat of the holy foods biblically, so also it is forbidden rabbinically to eat. Chutz, the exception would be the Paschal sacrifice, which has many different laws than ordinary sacrifices. we may eat it in the evening, that's because it's Pesach this is not the place to tell you the detailed laws of paschal sacrifices, we'll get there, but I can tell you that he may eat that night now, when someone is in a state of mourning and he's outside the base Besamigdash, for example, an Israelite can he send someone as his proxy to bring an offering? A person who's in a state of mourning may not send his offerings Kol Shiva during his entire period of Shiva. That's the seven days of mourning. Even if he had wine and the wine is ready to go and boom, someone passes away. Can he say to his friend, go deliver this to the base of in my behalf? It's a problem. Or wood, we learned earlier that a wood offering is like a sacrifice. Or he went and bought frankincense in Costco. They had a sale on on frankincense. So also a leper who comes to his full term. And a Mishalei cannot send his offerings through a messenger. The rule is if the person themselves are not fit to come, their proxy, their messenger is not fit to come that animal may not be sacrificed but if someone is in a state of menuda a ban of ostrac, was ostracized ostracism excommunication we're not sure if this person could send a proxy or not therefore therefore if they did offer on his behalf nirza, then it is accepted and there's discussion, how could anybody have an offering offered on their behalf? Because the person who brings the offering has to lean on it, and in this case, the person is not available to lean on it. So there's a lot of discussion, maybe there's some sacrifices that don't require leaning and so on. And finally, Yud-Base 12, Tamei, Sharetz, there are the eight rodents, the eight dead rodents, like a lizard or similar which makes a person impure by torah law we learned earlier that a frog is not considered a rodent but a lizard is the or someone who is not circumcised these people may send their offerings or and they could be offered on their behalf chutz the exception to that would be Mipesach ...of the paschal sacrifice. The paschal sacrifice may never be slaughtered... ...when the owner of this sacrifice has become defiled due to a rodent. An uncircumcised male may never have the paschal sacrifice slaughtered on his behalf. Famous verse. As we will explain in the right place... Where are we here? But someone who has become defiled due to the fact that he's been exposed to death. And he needs to have the ritual of the red heifer done with him. A Max ibn Olaf klalach This person, no one should bring the sacrifice on his behalf until he goes through the purification process. He has the sprinkling done on the third day, on the seventh day, and he has to immerse in the and so on and so forth. End of chapter 2. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchis Kli, I'm sorry, Hilchis Biat, or Bias Hamigdash, the laws of entering into the Beis Hamigdash and its related laws, Perek Shlishi, chapter 3. Now, this would be a good place to point out, as I have many times, that the Rambam is known for his brilliant organizational uh, talents abilities. Believe it or not, the Rambam lived before the days of computer of computers, but the Rambam could not have organized his laws better had he had computers. So the Rambam does everything by section. There are 14 books, In every book, there are sets of laws which make up the content of that book. For example, now we're learning the book of Avodah, or some say Ha'avodah, the service in the temple. So we're learning all temple related things. There is another book called Purity, Tahara, which deals with all the laws of purity and impurity. But there is some crossover and that is the laws pertaining to purity and impurity in the Holy Temple. So we have to touch upon them somewhat, but still the mother load of the laws will be in the right section, in the section of purity and impurity. And that's what today's chapter is, and it's a very eye-opening, very educational chapter, which helps us understand quite a few verses in the Torah. Aleph 1. Mitzvahs. Ase, it is a positive commandment, lishaleach to expel, to send forth, kol hatmeim anyone in a state of impurity min from the holy temple. Shanamar a verse, viyishalchu min hamachne let them send forth from the camp. Kol tsarua any person who is leprous. That's category one. Bechol zav, any person who has any type of sexual issue, healthful or uh, unhealthful. Actually, is the Tomei lonepesh actually Zov is the unhealthful one. Bechol Tomei Nepesh, category 3, anyone who is impure due to exposure to death. So we have three categories of impurity here, all in one verse. Kol is anyone afflicted with leprosy. That's one category of chalzo, of anyone afflicted with a flow, an abnormal seminal flow, and v'chel tomei l'onefesh, anybody exposed to death. So what does this mean? It sounds like it's one big lump sum. No. Bez zehamach neho First of all, we need to know what camp we're speaking of, what area we're speaking of where they have to be sent forth from. The one mentioned here, Humach chino, is the camp of the Divine Presence, where in Beis hamigdash time, Shehu Mipesach Ezras Yisrael from the entry to the court of the Israelites as we learned earlier in the beginning, the laws of Beis Habchira, with the whole construction and the whole Geographical setup of the Beis HaMikdash the from the courtyard of the Israelites, and inward that's called Mahneshina, the camp of the Divine Presence. Shemeyani, from here I learn. Shamitse, that a person who's a leper, the Hazav, and a person who has a seminal flow or or abnormal sexual flow, the tomme utme, a person exposed to death. Shloshtun they're both in the same place. You just have to send them out of the base migdash area. Uh-uh. Wrong. Talmud Lamar. Therefore, another verse tells us: Bimitsar educating us about the laws of a leper, yeshiv, He must dwell alone. Outside of the camp has to be his dwelling place. The leper has to be even outside the Israelite camp. Where in the times in the desert, it was literally the Israelite camp. Later, when there was a base on Migdash, what's outside the Israelite camp? Shumi Pesach Yerushalayim Belifnim, the Leper may not be anywhere within the gates of Jerusalem. He has to be out of Jerusalem. The whole Jerusalem is considered the Israelite camp. Ma So he says now, that if we see that a leper, whose state of impurity by Torah law is a very severe one, his expulsion... From the camp is much more severe than another. So also, all the others, the more severe. The state of impurity, the definition of the impurity, His expulsion will be more severe. Therefore, depends on your state of impurity, that will determine where you will be sent forth from. Therefore, we learn, therefore, and this is the fact, that the leper is sent outside all three camps. Which three camps? Machne Shechina, the camp of the Divine Presence. That's the inner of Hamigdash itself, from the courtyard of the Israelites and inward. Machne Leviyah, the Levite camp, as we will learn, is the entire Temple Mount area. Machne Yisrael, the Israelite camp, Shuchutz yerushalayim represents the whole Jerusalem, and the leper must be sent outside of Jerusalem. B'fnei bebiya, because just coming into Jerusalem makes that whole setting impure. Mashi'en Hazav metama, a person with an abnormal sexual flow does not make anybody impure just by walking in. There has to be lifting, touching, laying, and so on. So what we know is that the leper is the most severe, he has to be sent forth from the whole Jerusalem. The person who's dissolved, the one with the abnormal sexual flow, is second level severe. People who have the flow we talked about, the eldest, or a woman who just gave birth before she purifies himself. They are sent forth, chutz shnei outside, not only of one camp, which is Jerusalem, but two camps. What's the second camp? The Levite camp, shulchutzla where, for the purpose of Beis time, is the Temple Mount. So the person with the state of Zob or Zobo, Nido or Yeledes, has to go outside the Temple Mount as well. A person in that state could not come anywhere upon the Temple Mount. If shein Mitamin, Hamishkov, Because anything they sit on and anything they lay down on becomes impure all the way down. Even if there is something under a rock, the impurity transcends the rock. Not so the process of the becoming impure through exposure to death. And now he talks about that in 4 dalit. Tmei mei, someone who is exposed to death, or even the corpse itself, which by Torah law is the most severe, but not for this purpose. Even the corpse, technically, may be on the Temple Mount, certainly the person who touched the corpse. How do we know that? We know that from the Chumash and as it says, Vayikach Moshe, Moshe who lived in the Levite dwelling area, equal to, equivalent to the Temple Mount, it says in the desert that Moshe took as Atmos Yosef Imo, the bones of Yosef with him. Moshe transported the coffin of Yosef for 40 years. Where did Moshe dwell in the Levite camp? Where did he store the coffin of Yosef in the Levite camp? This teaches us that a corpse can be in the Levite camp. With him in the Levite camp. Therefore, the Temple Mount, theoretically, may have not only a person who touches a corpse, but even the corpse itself. Hey, ha-cheo. The Cheol, which we learned earlier, is the rampart surrounding the walls of the courtyard area. Mishalchin. there, they send the following category of people forth. Evdei kechavim, idolaters, or even other non-Jews. They're allowed to bring sacrifices, but they're not allowed to go past a rampart area. Utmei meis, those who were exposed to death. Uvaya leinidas, and those who were intimate with a woman in her menstrual cycle. All of these three categories may not go past the hail, past the rampart area. Avel t'vul yom, but a person who was impure, immersed in the mikveh, and is waiting for the sun to set. That's why he's called the t'vul yom. He immersed, but he's waiting for the end of the day. Nichnas Lashom can enter into the rampart area, Shekvar because he immersed already, even though we're waiting for the sun to set. Vav, ezras Sanoshim, the area called the women's section, where there was a special gallery for women, along with area for men. and Mimenot, that place is even more sacred, and even someone who already immersed in a mikveh, but is waiting for the sun to set. So that his purity can kick in. Cannot even be there. But someone whose son said already, but he's still waiting to bring certain offerings in order to bring his purification process full circle, may not be there. Someone who's waiting for his full circle. Atonement period, which means he has to bring certain sacrifices. That person's son has said already. Meaning, he's been to the mikveh, the sunset, but he still has to bring certain sacrifices. Rabbinically, someone who has immersed himself entering the portion of this Levite's camp is forbidden by rabbinic law. From the courtyard of Israel. The Israelites. And inward, even someone who immersed in a mikvah his sunset, but he still did not get atonement, should not enter there. Shaddai in Lake Toya because he's not completely pure until he brings his ritually purifying sacrifices. Shanamir as it says, the shall make atonement for her. I believe speaking of the woman who gives birth, and she becomes pure. Mikhaal Shaddai in Lenigma until until these offerings are brought, she's not hundred percent pure. Pes What if somebody is impure and hamishulach, and they are sent forth? Mehar habayis from the temple mound. They transgress a negative commandment. And as it says, the v'yotza and he shall go forth. Mihutz la'machna outside the camp. Zemachne shechina. That's the camp of the divine presence. The base hamigdash area. Shall not enter into the camp. That's the whole Temple Mount, known as the Levite camp. So also, a leper who entered into the area that he's forbidden, the whole Jerusalem, could be liable for lashes. However, if the leper entered other cities surrounded by a wall, even from the time of Yehoshua, even though he's not permitted to, because a leper should be sent outside every city limit. Levisha Nemra Bodad he shall dwell alone. Still, the idea of lashes does not kick in. Test 9. What if a leper entered? Leharabias to the Temple Mount area. Lekha, he is susceptible, he's liable to receive double lashes. Shmonim, not 40, but 80. Because he violates a double set of laws, two negative commandments. He entered Jerusalem, and he entered the Temple Mount. Therefore, he's liable for two sets of lashes. But if someone is impure due to exposure to death, or someone already immersed himself, but waiting for the sun to set, he entered into the women's section, or someone whose sun set, but he still didn't bring the atonement, Israel He went into the Israelite camp, even though there's no formal possibility of biblical lashes even under certain circumstances, but still, the court has the option to sentence that person to rabbinic lashes of rebellion, which we've discussed many times. Maonesese, Marcus mardus, it's possible to have that person undergo. The lashes, the stripes for rebellious conduct, which was the option of the courts, you masay, just as sending impure people out from the base area is a positive commandment. Kach so an interesting law here. Im what if they just entered on their own? If we say that they're supposed to be expelled, certainly if they enter say they transgress a negative commandment. the verse says clearly and succinctly, "Velay yitamo they shall not make impure their camp." Zed this refers to Machaneh, the setting, the camp of Shina, the divine presence which is the base Hamigdash area from the court of the Israelites and inward. ave how do we know he doesn't transgress unless he entered but if he was standing outside the courtyard and he touches the courtyard from the outside which is clearly forbidden (coughs) but he doesn't have the actual transgression this is called potter he's exempt but it's still forbidden he doesn't violate the law but still shouldn't do it Shenemer be Yeledes, because it says with Yeledes, with a woman who gives birth, she shall not enter into the Beis migdash. Entering is the prohibition. Yud base what if someone is in a state of impurity, and he did enter into the courtyard, into the Beis migdash area. Bimeizid intentionally, Anush he can receive the punishment of the cutting off of the soul. Shenemer be Yeledes, if he doesn't Bathe himself of he doesn't bathe his flesh, immersing in a mikveh, but he bears his sin. That refers to the cutting off of the soul. The shagig, inadvertently if that happens, accidentally. Maybe he brings a carbon a sliding scale sacrifice. There's going to be a whole section coming up called the section of sacrifices, and there he's going to discuss every single sacrifice. A person who will touch anything impure. The cutting off of the soul, or in the case of inadvertent violation. The sliding scale offering is only if he violates the space of the Israelite courtyard and inside that. We learned earlier it's possible to add space to the courtyard, in added space. We learned that much earlier. Kamei Shebiarno, as we explained earlier, and specifically Hilchis Beis Habchira, the very beginning of this book, chapter 6, Halacha 10 through 14, which discusses the idea of the possibility of adding to the courtyard area. Yud Gimel ve'ezehu hata meshechayev kardas Ala ha'migdash What kind of impure person? What kind of impure setting? Will actually be liable for the cutting off the, of the soul? For entering into the Beis Ha'migdash? Ke'el shenitma bituma minameis shanozen megalei achala Anyone who becomes impure due to exposure to death what kind of exposure to death? Real exposure to death. Not rabbinic fence law. Real. The real McCoy. How do we know what the real McCoy is? If someone is a Nazir, and he's exposed to that level of death, that destroys his count, and he has to start all over again. That's the real McCoy. Shekfar nisporesh benaziris. You want to know details? Look back in the laws of Nazir. We covered all those details and more. Another scenario, a person will touch another person, they became or vessels, which became impure, with those impurities again, where if the Nazarite was exposed to them, he has to cut his hair and start counting all over again, which can never be a rabbinic injunction, because the, the rabbinic injunction would not cause a guy to cut his hair and start counting all over again because he would be the second degree impurity to the first who touched the corpse and again these laws in great detail will be dealt with in the book of purity and impurity we're just scratching the surface here or they were exposed to impurity they were defiled with the other major avenues, areas, causes of impurity they must be biblical. Because there are many rabbinic states of impurity which will not apply here. This is only the biblical state of impurity. Now that Rambam lays down the law. The general principle, bottom line, as we say in Yiddish. The bottom line, that's where the people who use words like pacharat. That was an inside joke. Call Any person who Torah law mandates that he immerse in a mikveh, and he doesn't, and he enters the Besamigdash area, he is liable for the punishment of the cutting off of the soul for entering the Besamigdash area. Why? Because the Torah says he has to immerse. Not the rabbinical law says he has to immerse. And even as mentioned earlier, if he did immerse already, we still have to wait until the sun sets. That's an interesting alok in the Torah. It says, You have to wait till the sun sets before this person could be considered pure, even though he immersed already in the morning. However, if somebody becomes impure, defiled, with, defilements of exposure to death but less severe rabbinic level they are so much less severe that if a nozir experienced them he would not be required to cut his hair and start counting all over again even though by rabbinic law he has to observe seven days of purity and then immersion and so on he is exempt from the violation of entering into the Besamigdash in a state of impurity So also if somebody touches vessels which touched a person who touched a corpse a or touched a person who touched vessels which touched a corpse and again these detailed laws are to come even though for the purposes of eating Truma, as we learned earlier, he's considered a first stage of impurity of the and to cause the holy meats, the meats of the holy sacrifices, to become defiled, still, for our purposes, he's exempt. From entering into the base of that into that stage, because these things halachah are taught by the tradition, the oral tradition, possibly meaning the laws taught by Hashem to Moshe at Mount Sinai, even though it was taught by Hashem to Moshe at Mount Sinai by Moshe to the Jewish people, being that it's not enumerated as a mitzvah, the Rambam def refers to it as potter, and therefore even though he's technically exempt, Makanese Makasmadis, the rabbinic courts have the option to apply rebellious lashes. Moving a step further, Tezayana Machnesheretz, if somebody brings in a dead creeping animal and he has to have brought it in without touching it, okay, my or he brings an impure person into the base of Migdash. This is liable to the cutting off of the soul punishment. Because both these conditions brought defilement to the Holy Temple. Another scenario which would be technically exempt. If somebody would throw impure vessels, not bring, but throw. Even if they touched a corpse in our chorus, there would be no cutting off of the soul possible. But lashes would be possible. If you will not, you will not wash, which means immersion in from tradition we learn that for entering without washing his body, there's a chorus. Without washing his garments, there's only lashes. Now that Rambam says he's one of his famous, it appears to me one of his laws not something he learned from his teachers Aleika el that he only is liable for lashes when his clothing are a source of ritual impurity of the major type called the father of impurity kegem bagadam like garments touched by someone who has exposure to death which is considered the first level the father of impurity is bur as we will explain a but a garment which is a first degree impurity and the migdash it was born into the base he does not receive lashes but there could be the rebellious lashes and again as we will learn in the laws of purity and impurity there are various degrees of purity and impurity starting from the corpse which is called avi hatuma, the grandfather of impurity the the, the most powerful source of impurity, the person who touches the corpse, is called the Av the father of impurity, and so on, and so on, and so forth. The degrees become reduced more and more, and we will build this building of purity and impurity when we get there, learning and understanding every level with God's help. Yud Ches Vechen Tomei, so also a person is impure. A person is impure, there's no doubt about that, but he didn't walk into the Holy Temple. He just put his hand in. He put his hand past the line. This is the most he could be liable for his rabbinic lashes. So also anyone who enters the Holy Temple with a state of serious impurity but rabbinic source, or ate foods that were defiled and consumed defiled liquids and then entered the Migdash, being that it's rabbinic source impurity, there can only be the rebellious rabbinic lashes. You, you test. Interesting law. Very interesting. Tomei, a person who was defiled or impure, who entered Lamigdash into the base Lamigdash area, which we learned earlier is culpable, but he didn't walk in through the gateway. How did he get in? He pranced from roof to roof, and then he jumped in. He lowered himself in. Potri is exempt because he didn't come in the natural door. As it says, and He shall not enter into the temple. Normal entry, coming in through the roof, is not normal. The Torah only causes a person to be liable if he came in a normal entry route. Even though there can't be the punishment of the cutting off of the soul here, nevertheless, it's clearly a rabbinic violation. He's liable to rebellious stripes. Furthermore, even if a person entered the area in a flying compartment, I guess that's how you say helicopter, a flying compartment, being that he entered into the area in a migdal, whether it's through a roof, or this box, this chest, flew in through the doorway, flying in is not normal entry. So that's another technical, biblical exemption. Chav 20, mazdeni, anywhere where the intentional violation has the cutting off of the soul, the unintentional violation has a sacrifice. <clears throat> what if there is impurity that comes about on Shabbos? The laws of Shabbos are very strict. You now let it to touch something that has no use on Shabbos. You now let it remove it. You now let it carry it. But being that we're talking about base amigdash impurity, the rabbinic laws of muktzah of not touching, fall off. Meitzi and I said, we've got to get that thing out of the base amigdash pronto, now. That's if it's in the base amigdash. Ushara is but the adjacent places to the base amigdash, the adjacent b- buildings we talked about before. It's possible to just cover it with a vessel containing its impurity until after Shabbos. And when they take it out, even the Kohen, taking it out, should not carry it, for example, in their garments, which will receive the state of impurity. And we're going to learn the details of what does receive and what doesn't receive. Therefore, it's best to carry it, number one, in a wooden vessel, which doesn't so easily receive impurity and not a vessel but a flat surface because a vessel does receive not to increase the state of impurity because if the priest would carry it out his garments he would be causing the garment to become impure therefore it's desirable to use a flat wooden utensil even if it takes more time Twenty One. now we're going to learn some interesting laws. Whether we're talking about a person who was in a state of impurity, who entered into a pure beis so the beis was pure and he wasn't. A yesh or the person was pure and the beis at that moment wasn't, or the area he entered had a corpse covered with a tent or whatever show A corpse under a covering. The covering, being in the same room with a corpse, carries the impurity from the corpse to the person, provided there is a roof. But if there's an open roof, it doesn't count. That's why, for example, when you go to the Ohel of a Tzaddik, even though an Ohel of a Tzaddik doesn't cause impurity at all, but still... Just in case, we have an open roof. Because when the roof is open, there's no tenting. So, in this case, if there was tenting, then there could be the possibility of the cutting off of the soul. Because the entry and the impurity come simultaneously. And we learned the details of these laws earlier. But he did not enter and become impure simultaneously. But first he entered and then he became impure. I feel that even if it happened somewhat intentionally, then the solution is, and this gets interesting as I said, he should hurry up and he should push himself. He must take the shortest route out. As long as he takes the shortest route out, he's good. Now on the way out, he can't say hi, he can't bow, he can't procrastinate, he can't stop in the Starbucks in the on English, or maybe it was coffee bean. He's forbidden to procrastinate, to carry, or even to bow in respect, and deference to Hashem. If there's two choices, the long way and the short way, he's got to take the short route. He can't take the circuitous route. The scenic route. If he did tarry, or he took the long way out, even though he took the long way out without tarrying, he went quickly, but the long way out, or he paused, turned towards the Besamikish and bowed which is what every good Cohen should do but not in a state of impurity in a state of impurity he's got to get out now even though he didn't procrastinate but he just did it it took him a, a, three seconds Chay of he's now earned himself the punishment of the cutting off of the soul if it was inadvertent, maybe Karben, he has to bring out an offering. He didn't turn his face around. He was still facing the exit and he bowed quickly. is not culpable. Unless he waited long enough for the time that one is culpable. How long is that? I'm glad you asked. How long is that? in order to read the following verse, the length it takes for you a a normal person, normal reading speed, to read the following verse. The verse says, this comes from Shavuos, which quotes the description of the people's bowing in Chronicles 2. And they bowed with their faces to the ground on the floor, prostrating themselves and giving thanks to God who is good and whose kindness is everlasting. That's how long. That is the length of time where one, if he bows that length, he's culpable in this state. Now, what is considered the short way out and what is considered the long way out? The What's the long route? The long route is defined as if there is a shorter route. If there's a shorter route and you're not taking it, this is the long route. What if a person went out the short route? Oh, it's very good. But he didn't rush out. In fact, he went... Very slowly, very deliberately,, he put the heel to the toe and the heel to the toe and the toe to the heel, and he just shuffled out. I feel, even if that shuffling process took him all day, but he was still moving. Potter is exempt, Yatsabat, on the other hand, if he took the long road, even though he ran. Like he was running the marathon. He pushed himself and it took him 8.9 seconds. I made that up. He went very quickly. Where running the long route took him a lot shorter than a normal person would. would be walking quickly the short route. Being that he used the long route, it's a problem. Houston, we got a problem. He is culpable for koreis. Yatsa Bhisaef he took the short route. Well, and he walked a little bit. We all met and then he rested a little bit. You don't want to strain his heart. because she is. all of the restings added up to that period of time that it takes to say that expression be even if it's intentional, ain't a lika there isn't lashes. B'shegi ain't a maybe carbon because we're really not sure whether this is a liability or not because there's discussion in the Talmud and it was never ever resolved. Ne'ishadobar sofek because we're in doubt. Avo one thing is clearly he clear one thing is clear he clearly violates rabbinic law and therefore makanei Makasmardis, he is given lashes rabbinic lashes. Rebellious lashes, end of chapter 3. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchais, Bias, Hamigdash, the laws of coming in to the Holy Temple and its sanctity, how we have to deal with it. Pede chapter 4. We learned about the fact that someone who is in a state of impurity may not enter into the Beis Hamigdash. What if he not only entered, but he served as a Kohen? He performed service in a state of defilement. Chilel <coughs> Avedose, number one. Whatever he did, he profaned it. It's not good. Furthermore, Vachay of Misa al Avedose. And he's culpable, liable for the heavenly death penalty due to the fact that he served in a state of impurity, even though he did not (coughs) carry, he did not hang out there intentionally, as soon as he realized it, he left, as we learned the prescribed conduct should be, as it says, and they should set themselves apart from the sanctity of the children of Israel in a state of impurity. Do not profane my holy name. This is an admonition for one who serves in the Beishamigdosh in a state of ritual impurity. And a little later it says, and they shall die through this <clears throat> because they profaned it. Ma chilul sham, just as the act of profaning stated there, chayav we're talking about not a death penalty prescribed by the courts, but through the hands of heaven. Afkan, so also here, misabide shamayim, the death penalty is by the hands of heaven. The rule is that any negative commandment. For which the Torah prescribes a heavenly death penalty, like in all of the courts under certain circumstances, <coughs> may and should prescribe the punishment of lashes for it. Interesting law coming up in Halacha Beys in 2. Even though if he served in a state of defilement, which means the Kohen came in. He says, I don't care that I'm impure. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to serve. Don't tell me what to do. Because even though we just said that the death penalty is a heavenly death penalty, the most the courts could do is give him lashes under certain circumstances. If there are witnesses, and he was warned, nevertheless, the Torah gives license to his peers to discipline him. Very unusual law. E, his brother him.. They usually did not deliver him to the courts, but they took him into the backyard. Allahlah, they took him into the woodshed. they took him outside, and they would crack his brain. They would kill him. ain' bekach, and we don't have an obligation to stop this, what seems to be to us a vigilante killing, and the commentaries explain how is this permissible by Torah law. It goes against everything Torah law stands for. The answer is it seems to be an unwritten rule that every Kohen who agreed to work in the Besamigdash agreed that if he wantonly and with impudence, just with chutzpah, comes and says, I don't care if I'm impure, I'll do it anyway, that he may experience this discipline by peers, a lot of discussion On this very unusual law. Now he says we learned earlier the caveat was. That he served but did not even tarry. How is it possible if you serve then it takes time. So that's tarrying. How is it possible that he served? And he should not take time and violate the idea of tarrying. Actually, where there is no cutting off of the soul for tarrying, merely a heavenly death penalty. So this is the scenario. He realized that he became impure while he was in the temple courtyard. He did the prescribed act, and that is, as we learned, he took the shortest way out, is good. However, on the way out, he was carrying uh, something in his hand, uh, a cylinder, and he, walking, he poked into a limb on the flames of the altar, turned it over so it should burn quicker. He didn't consume any time, but he did something. Anything. <clears throat> that has to do <clears throat> with approaching any type of service is like service he contributed by having the limb be consumed a little sooner. By the way the speed of the consumption of limbs was a big issue because sometimes there would be a big traffic jam on the ramp to the altar they had like the El Toro Y where there was a big line waiting to offer limbs on the altar, so hastening the consumption of a limb is a good thing. He was impure, so it's a bad thing. A similar scenario, a Kohen who was in a state of ritual impurity. He immersed himself in the mikvah as prescribed, but he did not wait for the sun to set, which the Torah says. That the Kohen has to wait for the sun to set. Avedos, Epsule, service is unfit. Ve'chay, Avmise, Bidei and he's culpable for heavenly death penalty. Shenem, as it says, Ve'lei they shall not profane the name of their God. from tradition we were taught, She'zoaz Hora, the this is an admonition for someone who immersed, the Kohen who immersed in the Mikvah, but did not wait until the sun sets. Shadayin tomehu because he's still technically impure, even though he already immersed. Shanamar, as the verse says, uva hashemesh when the sun sets, he will be declared pure. Miklal shadayin le'toyer, which teaches us that before the sunset he's still impure. Avel, however, we also learned about a situation which is called mechusar kipurim. The Kohen who immersed in the mikveh, the sunset, or the, not the Kohen, but a, a person who had to have some atonement process, but he did not yet bring the sacrifice that follows and completes the atonement process. For example, a Zav or a Zava, someone with an impure flow, anyone who has to bring a particular sacrifice in order to come full circle. So that is called mechusar kipurim, someone who is lacking the full cycle of atonement. Even though his service is unfit, he profaned it, but he's exempt from the above. How do we know his service is unfit? The Cohen shall make atonement for her. And then and only then shall shall she be declared pure. Before these offerings are brought on her behalf. The cycle, the complete prescribed cycle of becoming pure has not been completed. The same applies for any time. There is a purification process lacking. What if a Cohen served? And then he found out after the fact that he was impure. He had no idea during the service. If it is what is known as a known form of impurity, which means, as he defined earlier at great length, in the laws of the Nazarite, that a Tuma yudua means at least one person knows clearly that this impurity was here. He didn't know about it. Then, kol haka Everything he offered, psulin are impure. Sharei Because his service becomes profaned. Becomes a mundane service. However, if it was as we discussed earlier in the laws of Nazir. The im he tumais or tumas hatahim if it was the impurity of the deep underground type, where no human being necessarily knows the existence of this impurity, we just have an idea that it's there, then, because no human being anywhere in the world knows of its certain existence, then, Hatsitsmeratze, this kind of impurity of the deep, others translate this euphemistically, that just as nobody really knows what, do, what goes on in the deep underground waters, so also nobody is really certain of the identity of this corpse. Hatzitz <laughs> For this type of exposure to impurity, this is why the Kohen Godel wore the Tzitz, the plate, on his forehead, which brought about forgiveness for impurity. The Chalak Harbona Shehikrib, and therefore retroactively, all of the offerings he brought Nilsu are now accepted with goodwill by Hashem because the tzitz brought about the atonement, because this was a corpse that no one really could identify. Even if he found out that he's impure before he sprinkled the blood, nevertheless went ahead and sprinkled the blood, Hirtza, the tzitz, the plate on the forehead of the high priest, makes atonement. Shatzitz al because that's one of the functions of this headplate, where it creates goodwill for the impurity of the deep. Apapishu even though, as described in this scenario, it was intentionally transgressed. If you're wondering what the details are of tumes we explained it in great detail in the laws of the Nazarite. Zayin mechein atitz meratzah. Speaking of the tzitz, the tzitz also brings. Forgiveness and goodwill Ha when the object offered had become impure the Hoyalist, the head plate shall be al on the forehead of Aaron, and Aaron shall bear the iniquity of the holy, meaning that if somebody brought something impure the tzitz also, makes atonement. However, it cannot bring about the goodwill for the foods that were consumed in a state of impurity. Not on the impurity of man, he became impure with a known impurity. The only time that works is when the vast majority of the community had become impure due to exposure to death. And this is an interesting law, which we're going to learn about now. And that is, we're going to touch upon it at any event, that in the case of certain impurities, which certain impurities? Death. If the majority of the Jewish people become exposed to impurity, the impurity is superseded by the obligation to bring the sacrifice nevertheless. And this is called tumah Hadechuya or Hutcha B'Tzibor. That the state of impurity was superseded because a whole community or the majority of community was affected by this. So what does it mean? Does it mean that the law of purity and impurity was suspended? And that's a big debate in the oral law. Is it suspended or is it superseded? The Rambam seems to accept the opinion that it was superseded, because he says here, you have the plate on the forehead that creates goodwill and atonement for it. Meaning, it's still there. But it's overridden by the obligation to bring The seats, the head plate of the high priest only does its magic, it only works. I didn't mean to use the word magic. It only brings about this appeasement process When he's wearing it, it shall always be on his forehead, to create goodwill of him for them. Now, which offerings can be brought in a state of impurity when the vast majority of the Jewish people are impure, and which offerings cannot? So he says, the rule of Tom is any offering that doesn't have a set time will not supersede as a rule not Shabbos for example an individual cannot come and say I have a sacrifice, sacrifices supersede Shabbos, I'm going to bring my offering on Shabbos, no can do nor can the offering of an individual supersede a state of impurity why? because the logic dictates that if this offering will not be brought today will be brought tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Because the obligation does not expire. It's not a today-only offering. But any offering that does have a set time, whether it's communal, whether or individual, it supersedes Shabbos, can be brought even on Shabbos. For example, the daily offering, the daily communal offering, the Sabbath, Mus'af offering, all of these are brought on Shabbos. And in certain cases will supersede the state of impurity as well. Now, don't think it supersedes any state of impurity, no. Not if somebody touched a rodent, somebody became impure due to a sexual issue. Absolutely not. Only impurity associated with exposure to a corpse. As a rule, communal offerings always have a fixed time, and therefore under certain circumstances they supersede the Shabbos, and they supersede the exposure to impurity of death. However, it must be said that any offering... That is, brought in a state of impurity, it should be brought, and whatever has to be done should be done. But, it's not eaten. To eat sacrifices, the Kohen must be in a state of impurity, in a state of purity, in a state of ritual purity. You smoke on the altar anything that has to be smoked and the balance of this offering which ordinarily would be eaten Nisrof is burned separately like any other holy object which becomes defiled so the fact that they are permitted to offer it does not mean they are permitted to eat it for example if the time of that offering came about and the vast majority of the congregation obligated to bring it were impure due to exposure to death. That's the only impurity. or The community was in a state of purity. But the Kohanim working were exposed to impurity of death. They were both pure. And the vessels, the only available vessels to be used for the offering were exposed to death. So in one Case or another, either the people, the conim, or the vessels were exposed to death. It should be done in a state of impurity. Let the impure and the pure deal with this together. They may all enter into the courtyard and do their thing. However, this does not give license. To do away with the idea of ritual impurity as it relates to sacrifices. Any other impurity, for example, the various sexual issues of the zav or the zava, the abnormal flow coming from the body of the male or a female, or the woman who's experiencing her menstrual cycle, who should not be offering a sacrifice at that time. The elders and those women who have just given birth, who have to wait until they become pure to bring the sacrifice of Tmei's Sheretz, or those who became exposed to impurity of the rodent when a vela or a dead carcass of Kayetzalbohem, and that's a whole list of categories of impurity other than death. They should not occupy themselves with this. They should not even enter into the temple courtyard. Even though the other Karnim who are dealing with this issue have been exposed to impurity of death. So you say, hey, it's an impure sacrifice anyway. It doesn't work that way. If they transgressed and they did it, they already entered the courtyard. They are culpable for cortis to cutting off of the soul. Al For entering into the courtyard. And they have the heavenly death penalty for the service. Only the exposure to death type of impurity was superseded. Yud-Yimel, is a different law, is U-Pesach, the Paschal sacrifice, Shebo which was brought in a state of impurity, <coughs> because the Paschal sacrifice has a special law that it has to be brought in a special time if a few individuals have become impure. That's why they were given the Pesach Sheni opportunity. But if the majority of the Jewish people were exposed to impurity, then they do it on time. And then those who, people who were exposed to death pushed themselves in. And they entered into the vestibule. They are exempt. Even though the permissibility stated earlier was only in the courtyard, not into the temple. I don't apply this commandment of expelling them outside the camp limits had so they're exempt. Should not be done, but they're exempt. You your mixtures based to We know that the Kohanim were divided into twenty-four groups called watches. The each watch of every week was divided into seven or six or seven clans groups. What if? Part of the clan were impure, and part of them were pure Even though most of them have been exposed to death, they should only bring if they are pure. If the whole clan was impure due to death exposure, let him bring another clan. What if the whole watch of that entire week were exposed to death? Let him bring in another watch. But if the majority of kohenim who were gathered at that time in Jerusalem were in a state of defilement, of death, that's when they can make the sacrifice in a state of impurity. Why would we search for a pure kohen even from another clan? Because this state of impurity was not just waived and permitted in the case of communal impurity. The prohibition stands. Because of the pressing nature of what has to be done, it is not permitted, rather superseded, moved to the side. Nothing superseded is ever pushed to the side, unless there is no other alternative. And that's Proof positive but why you need the forehead plate of the high priest to make atonement, appeasement. How do we know the law in general? That exposure to death is superseded in the case of the whole community. The whole portion of the second Paschal sacrifice. The verse says, There were some men, which... Who are impure because they were exposed to the soul of man to death? This is what we learn from tradition. Only individuals may be pushed off from the first Pesach offering period to the second if there were a few individuals. If they were impure, but the majority of the community who were exposed to death and therefore impure. The are not pushed off to the second Pesach. Ela Let the state of impurity be superseded. Let them bring the Paschal offering in a state of impurity. Why then the The same applies for every sacrifice whose time is set, like the Pesach sacrifice that can only be brought in a certain time, that it supersedes the state of impurity. Yud Zion 17, says the Rambam now, in the closing paragraphs of this chapter, this is also specified in the Tanakh, in the Bible. It says there in the book of Chronicles, Kadoshu a multitude, there were many that had not been sanctified. And the Levites presided over the slaughter of the Paschal sacrifice for all that were not pure. Because there were so many people, from Ephraim, it did not become purified. What does it mean when it says they ate the Paschal offering? HaKosav, not like it stated, but says that Rambam here, there's a whole different story, because they, in the last minute, declared a leap year, and added a month, because the Jewish people were in a state of impurity. Which is, as we learned in Tractate Sanhedrin, not one of the reasons you should add a leap year. Shenem, as it says, that the king and all of his officers advised. This refers to King Hizkiah. Hizkiah was one of the most righteous kings who ever lived, assuming the throne after the rule of Ahaz, who was an idolatrous sinner. And after years, people had been led astray. Hizkiah, this great holy king, inspired them to repent. And he, as we're told, invited all the people to come and offer a Paschal sacrifice. Unfortunately, a number of kohanim had not purified themselves, and also the people were very slow in their response to enable the Paschal sacrifice to be offered as many, by as many people as possible. He had a leap year declared so as to give him an extra month, and that was not prescribed in halacha. They couldn't make it at that time, the verse says, let me die because the Kardim had not sanctified themselves. We explained earlier in the laws of the sanctification of the new moon. That's not one of the reasons you declare a leap year. In the case of Khiskia, they did. They made an exception to that rule. Yud Chesve furthermore, there was another detail that they did that they perhaps shouldn't have done, and we also covered this in Allah. A Hebrew month, as we learned extensively in the laws of the sanctification of the new moon, could either have 29 days, and therefore the 30th day is the first day of the next month, or a Hebrew month could have 30 days, and therefore the 30th day is still of the previous month. So in the case of the month of Adar, when the 30th day comes, it is already fit, to be Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Therefore we're told that's not a time to declare a leap year. A leap year should be declared at the very beginning of the year if possible, but at least certainly not past the 29th day of Adar. Here was already the 30th day, Sheroi Elias Rosh Chodesh Nisan, where it's fit to be, the first day of Nisan. Too late to declare a leap year. But that year, and his beddin declared that the second other and the sages did not agree because you're not supposed to do this as we explained at great length in the laws of the sanctification of the new moon because of these events which transpired not following the strict letter of the law that's why the verse says Bilay Kakosov that they ate the Paschal sacrifice, not as written. Well and he, Hiskiah, intervened and pleaded with God Almighty to have mercy upon him, and upon the sages Shiskimo Amasa, who we'll agreed with him. as it says, Ki Same as Hiskia prayed for them, Laimra saying, the good God, Yachaperbad shall make atonement for those. The name of Ishmael El God hearkened, He listened to Yechiskiyo, Vayir Pohassam, and He healed the people. What does He mean He healed the people? Shernitzer Korbonim, that their offering was accepted. End of chapter 4.